Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Chapter 7 Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful, as God intended and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter, so even though I wrote to you, It was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, So our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well, and his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Relationships will cause us sorrow. And if we desire to have wide open hearts to others, that sorrow will occasionally be overwhelming. What Paul says in this chapter is that that kind of sorrow can actually be some of the best stuff that ever happens to us if we respond to it well. Let's break this down. Paul sees all of us as works in progress. None of us are yet fully holy. None of us have made it. But we are on the way there, and if we really understand life, we will earnestly desire to get there. We know that the kindest thing God could ever do for us, the greatest expression of his favour and his salvation in us, would be for him to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. If we really understand the beauty of holiness, if we've really grasped the utter delight of becoming like God, we will gobble up every experience of sorrow as a chance to repent and become. So, let's walk through the steps. 
Sorrow in relationship inevitably produces great indignation or massive regret. When this happens, I can easily turn inwards, stewing on what has occurred, resentful that a hardship has been brought into my life, trying to minimise consequences or hide from what has occurred. I can easily decide to erect boundaries to protect me. I could use human constructed means to help me feel better right now and safer in the future. A piece of relational death would occur and probably some spiritual death as well, as the two things are so closely entwined. Now, let's imagine instead we follow sorrow into the favour of God. We know God's greatest gift to both me and you would be for us to be transformed into the image of God. And so, we see this sorrow as a microphone amplifying an issue that God wants to work on. We don't shut things down to protect ourselves, but neither do we just affirm everything that's been in place. Instead, we invite Jesus to show us the transformation he wants to bring. That transformation may be in me. It may be in you. It may even just be in our understanding of each other, as we're both actually grasping wrong ends of the very same stick. But the crucial thing is that godly sorrow draws the source of sorrow under the favour of God. Godly sorrow fights to maintain affection for people, to keep hearts wide open, and to see the beauty of holiness perfected in every relationship, as much as others will allow. I know this stuff is hard. I understand this complexity. But I'm so hungry to be someone who prefers transformation to recreation, who is mature enough in Jesus to let him use sorrow to actually make me like him in every single way. Here's a question for reflection. When you feel sorrow, do you A, try to ignore it and just move on, B, stew on it, or C, process it with God in prayer, leading to growth and kingdom come? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.